Every three seconds, there's a new victim of identity theft. A criminal could be applying for loans in your name or even selling your personal info on the dark web. Protecting your identity can be easy with LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock monitors your info and alerts you to potential identity threats. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but with LifeLock, it's easy to help protect yourself. Save up to 25% off your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st Century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And as promised just a week ago, we have returned after a 167-hour hiatus. Before I get to my guest, Alex Sakaris, who's written a book called uh, Why Science is Wrong about almost everything from uh, Amazon, uh, not Amazon, I'm sorry, anomalous books, I wanted to take a moment to just mention that I've noticed there are like 8 billion shows on television now about time travel. And in one of them, they made a comment that was reminiscent of something I'd put in a book a long time ago. And it was called, the book is called, and it's available on Amazon, speaking of Amazon, uh, on the second Tuesday of next week. And it's a time travel story with a war in space and time travel and all kinds of tricks and all of this sort of thing. And I only mention this because there's a gag in the book that uh, I saw on a, the Big Bang Theory not long ago. And I wanted to point out that it was not me copying them because I began this book when I was in college. There's like 19 drafts of it. And it's been on Amazon for a number of years. So I just wanted to say if you're interested in time travel and the television schedule seems to suggest you all are, take a look at on the second Tuesday of next week, available as an ebook from Amazon.com. And now, having taken up my time or the time of my guest, Alex Zakaris, I will bring him on. He is the host of Skeptico and the author of Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything. And he's in the successful entrepreneur turned science podcaster. In 2007, he founded Skeptico, which became the number one podcast covering science of human consciousness. And we'll get into that in a moment. Alex has appeared on syndicated radio shows both in the U.S. and the United Kingdom and in Canada now. 
and is well known within the parapsychology and the near-death experience research communities, and we will talk a little bit about that as well. And for those of you who have additional questions or would like more uh, information about these topics, you can email him at news at skeptico, and that's S-K-E-P-T-I-K-O dot com, skeptico dot com. Alex Sakaris, welcome to A Different Perspective. Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. Well, it's been a real ordeal to get you on the show. I had to send like one email, so. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and we, had a good, we had a good chat, didn't we? We're, we're, we're yes. geared up for this one. It's going to be a good one. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, and uh, uh, I should say our friends at Anomalous Books, uh, Patrick Weege, specifically put me in contact with you so that we could do this. And I noticed in your book why science was wrong about almost everything. And remember, we just have a few more a couple of minutes here, and I mean just a couple of minutes before we have to take a break, but um, it seems to focus on human consciousness quite a bit. Uh, would that be a, an accurate statement? Right, because the tie back into the title is that, you know, if you get consciousness wrong, if you haven't factored consciousness into the modern science as we know it, materialistic paradigm, then you really don't know crap because as we've discovered, consciousness works its way into everything, every aspect of science. So that was really the, the premise behind the title. Not that we can't make cool technology, but that if you haven't considered and fully considered consciousness and where modern science is on consciousness or is not on consciousness, then you're not in the ballgame. And I think there's some great parallels to what consciousness is telling us and how it's changed UFO research and alien extra, alien presence research. So there's a lot of tie-ins. But uh, you're not saying they've gotten wrong, all, everything wrong like uh, paleontology or archaeology or geology, just to name a number of ologies off the top of my head. You're not saying they're wrong about all of that stuff, are you? I think you got to look into all that stuff. I mean, take take something as basic as the the theory of evolution and our old friend Charles Darwin, right? So what Darwin tells us is that there's basically two ways that that we change. Either our environment forces us to change and those leaves are way up on the branch and we got to grow a longer neck or we change through some kind of mutation. What modern consciousness research has proven conclusively is that the mind, the brain, thinking about thinking can make physical changes to the brain. So the okay, brain let, me, re- let, me, let me stop you there because I'm, I'm coming up against the break, and we'll carry this on in the next segment, I promise. You bet. Uh, <laughs> you know, and as I say many times, if you want additional information, take a look at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and take a look at some of my books at amazon.com as well. And we will return with more from Alex Sakaris and about consciousness and science getting everything wrong right after this.
This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Foundation focusing on evidence based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Hello, I'm Pete Marsh. With my daughter Justina, we will be presenting the new radio show, Too Good to Be True. If something seems too good to be true, it usually is. But with the help of Justina's amazing gifts, we're going to gain insight into questions that don't yet have complete answers. Have you wondered who built Stonehenge and for what reason? Why are crop circles found in the same region as Stonehenge and elsewhere? Are crop circles a hoax or are they created with technologies that we have little knowledge of? Who built the pyramids in Egypt and also in other countries? How and why were they built? Was the Titanic switched with the Britannic as part of a gigantic insurance fraud or for more insidious reasons? What caused the Tunguska event when trees were flattened over an 800 square mile area in Siberia? Will the new insights be too good to be true? Well, that will depend on what you are prepared to believe. Please join us as we start on this journey together. For more information on Too Good To Be True, visit www.xzbn.net. Little children aren't the only ones afraid of the dark. Millions of soldiers return from war zones with PTSD, anger, frustration, fear, and loneliness, much of which surfaces during the darkness of the night. You have the chance to change the lives of these American heroes. Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us provides free MP3 players for these men and women. With a list of 3 million songs, 
songs in 16 different styles, 100,000 audiobooks, and 30,000 old-time radio programs, every veteran can find something to soothe and comfort them at no cost. All our players contain an eight-hour audio program designed to help veterans fall asleep. With 1,500-plus vets now participating, it's our goal to deliver 10,000 audio players this year. Go to our website at songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. Help us help a veteran make it through the night. And proving that I do not I do not tell a lie on this show, we are back. And I still have Alex Sakaris on the phone with me. I have not insulted him enough during the break to make him go away. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. When we were talking prior to the break, uh, you were you were discussing um, Darwin. I don't know why his name escaped me for a moment. Darwin and his theory of evolution and uh, the brain realizing uh, – uh, well, one theory being you, know, you had to grow bigger to get the tall leaves and so you did it. Right. I mean this is the basic theory of evolution, right, is that there's two factors that drive change. One is environmental and the other is – uh, mutation, basically. Our genes just kind of randomly change, and then that becomes well adapted to the environment. I mean, this is really basic stuff, and as is the consciousness stuff. And well, let me just back up for a minute. When I talk about consciousness, when I say consciousness, let's make sure we know what we're talking about. We're talking about that little voice inside your head. If you stop and say hello, you heard your inner mind say hello. That's your consciousness, yourself of being aware of yourself. The question in science, and it shouldn't be a question because you can go ask a six-year-old kid and they'll tell you the, the answer, is, is consciousness real? Do you really experience that or is it just an illusion? Is it just something your brain is kind of making and as you go and it's all just a trick of the mind? Well, the, the research I was kind of pointing to was from a guy at UCLA, brilliant guy. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz, one of the worldwide recognized experts on OCD, you know, the obsessive compulsive, obsessive compulsive disorder, got to knock three times into this where you do something. And it's a, I don't mean to make fun. It's a terrible kind of thing. But what he did is he spent a considerable amount of time, peer-reviewed research, and firmly established that self-directed neuroplasticity, which is a fancy way of saying thinking about thinking, can change the physical structure of your brain. Now, where is that in this neo-Darwinist evolution thing? Thinking about thinking can change my brain? Well, then I, the whole, the, all bets I thought, are off. 
I thought that the theory of evolution is not that the individual evolves, but the group of individuals evolved. Great so, point. Great point. Yes. And 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 because of that, um, but but we don't get that. I mean, let's let's be clear. It, that's a gr- that's a great point. But th- we don't get that. What we because that would suggest more of a collective kind of thing. But it, it, from what from the standpoint I'm talking about, Kevin, that doesn't really matter because the group it, it is the survival of the group rather than the survival of the individual. But still, when you break it down to what Darwin's saying, there's only two ways that people. There's only two ways that species change. It's either adaptation or it's genetic mutation. That's it. He didn't say there was self-directed. You could think about thinking and, and your thinking could change everything about you. That was not on the table. And for a lot of mon- modern scientists who have their head in the sand, it still isn't. For anyone who's really looked at the modern research, it is. But there's a lot of people that hold to materialism. But that's not a clear point here. I don't quite understand where you're, what, you're, what you're suggesting here because it seemed to be saying that I can change my body by thinking about it uh, right. as opposed you to can. worrying about genetics. Well, I mean, we're not denying that genetics are a factor, but self-directed neuroplasticity and the whole mind-body thing, the whole placebo thing, would suggest that there's another player in the game and that player is consciousness. And we don't have to understand completely how that's working to identify over and over again that consciousness seems to be cropping up wherever we look. And that means what? Well, it means just, just what I said, that, that this materialistic... Wait, you, say, you say consciousness is cropping up everywhere you look, but I don't understand exactly what you mean by that statement where are we looking and what are we seeing that shows us consciousness is directing uh, our body and our body types and and that sort of thing well th- hold on i mean that's kind of th- that's not really the issue right the issue is we have uh, it, it's much bigger than that we have an existing scientific paradigm that says that that is impossible and the data contradicts that paradigm So the existing paradigm is that, no, it's only matter. Everything that you experience, your minute-by-minute experience, is purely a product of your brain. The research you were alluding to, like the near-death experience research, the parapsychology research, the self-directed neuroplasticity research that I was talking about, uh, all point in a different direction, suggesting that this materialistic, you are just a biological robot in a meaningless universe, that that is incorrect. So it's a paradigm shift. And then everything flows, you know, below that. So you're suggesting then, rather than looking at the human race or people as uh, um individuals that have no control over their destiny, you might say, because we're going to go from point A to point B, and that's it. We can't do anything to stop it. You're suggesting that, A, there is something that we can do to stop it, and B, that there's something beyond point B. We get to point C, which when we get to the near-death experiences here in a few minutes, we'll kind of talk on that stuff. And that also would bring up a question about uh, past lives, uh, um, have people live past lives, and is there scientific evidence to support that kind of a concept? Right. Should we should we talk about the past lives research? Is it peer reviewed? Do we have good peer reviewed uh, past life research? 
We do. And it's, most most of what I've seen is 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 pretty much anecdotal, and it's by people. Um, oh, and, Kevin! And, Kevin! No, 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 no! Of listen, not. listen, 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 listen. Uh, and what I'm thinking of is one specific researcher who was trying to induce a past life in some person, and when that person resisted, the researcher says, "Well, then make it up." And I'm thinking, how good is that kind of research? And what I'm saying is, I have not taken a look at the peer-reviewed materials about past life, which is not to say it's not there. And if we're going to talk about peer-reviewed past lives, uh, give us some examples of articles that we can find that would uh, underscore that point. So they come from the University of Virginia, which now we can get into a larger question of why science completely ignores, does everything they can to suppress and uh, and cast this information aside, and that would lead you to the University of Virginia, where this guy named Ian Stevenson gets this huge grant from the Xerox guy, Carlson, the guy, the guy who started Car- uh, Xerox. I'm pretty sure his name is Carlson. So he gives a gr- big grant to the University of Virginia. They can't resist the money, but they say, he says, hold on. There's some strings attached. Here's the stuff I want to look into is this kind of stuff that we're talking about. So Ian Stevenson, extremely uh, well-qualified, brilliant guy, becomes the chair of this department. And one of the things he decides to look into are these reports that have been throughout the ages, these reports of past lives. He does this very systematic there's many, many, many papers published, peer-reviewed, of accounts of people who have these past lives. And he does it in a very methodical way. His successor, Ian Stevenson has since died. His successor, successor, Dr. Jim Tucker, and he's been on the show a couple of times. He's written a couple of books on it. Again, uh, Excuse me, you, wait, you said on the show. Please please verify what show you're talking about for the, yeah. for the listeners. <laughs> He hasn't been on your show yet. Maybe no. he's been on Skeptico, uh, Skeptico.com. So, you know, Skeptico, I have about 350 shows, all of them available for free. There's no donation. There's no strings attached. Just go listen to the interviews if you find them interesting. So you could go listen to Jim Tucker talk about the 2,000 cases that he's uh, compiled, analyzed, and carefully uh, scrutinized in a scientific way about reincarnation. Now, for the people out there who are still skeptical, there's an angle that they took on this that's especially interesting. They looked at birthmarks that coincide with traumatic, violent events that affected the death of the prior person. So I remember I was living in this village 100 miles away, and then I got shot in the back. The kid has a birthmark. They go find the the person that it matches from 80 years ago or whatever in a town that he's never been, whatever, lo and behold, the person got shot and the bullet went in the back. And they have, this is, it's unbelievable. For people who haven't heard this, you cannot believe that one of the finest, really, educational institutions, I mean, right up there, University of Virginia, has done this kind of research and published it. But it's out there. Well, you also said something that that uh, we did not address, and you said the guy from Xerox came forward and he wanted this research and provided a grant for it, but there were stipulations. What were the stipulations? That they had to do this research into this kind of stuff, and that they well, couldn't take the money and go and just do some more boondoggly, same old 
bullcrap stuff that doesn't challenge the existing assumptions. So he wasn't saying, I want you to find A, B, and C. He said, I want you to look at A, B, and C and see what, that lead, what conclusions that lead you to. Exactly. Right. Because when you said that, the thing I thought of was the Condon Committee, which was the Air Force-sponsored study of UFOs in the 1960s. And the Air Force actually laid out the stipulations. You must find they do not relate to – do not affect (laughs) national security. You must say some positive things about the way the Air Force conducted the research and you must conclude that there is no reason to continue the research and we can close the program. So that when you you said there were stipulations, I was wondering about that. It's like uh, this question I had for you. I mean, what about uh, Ray Hyman from the University of Oregon and the Stargate Project? Same thing, right? Called in 20 years after all these people have said, hey, there's these dramatic things that have happened. Presidents have reported that the remote viewing psychic spying program has been successful. Wait a minute. Here's our guy, (laughs) University of Oregon, Ray Hyman, uh, CIA connected, comes in, writes a report. No, nothing ever really happened there, guys. Move on. I mean, it happens. Well, but you can't tar the guy with the brush being former CIA and and, and dismiss his research simply because he happened to work for the CIA at one point. And I say this because at one one time uh, 20 years ago, I was going to be on a program – on the sci-fi channel and there were three of us in the car heading toward the uh, studio and one of us was former uh, ASA, which is the Army Security Agency. One of us had a connection to the CIA and, and I had the connection to Air Force Intelligence. In other words, all three of us had connections to the intelligence community and you cannot reject what we say simply because of those connections and it seems like that was what you were doing there. Well, I think you got to be careful there. And, and you're right. And, and we should really have a little bit of a talk about Stargate because I see that you've delved into that. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One NA member FDIC. In your blog, and I think you could add a lot to my knowledge base. Maybe I could share some stuff with you. The point being, though, Kevin, I think the important distinction is most people still look at academia and are surprised to even hear that Ray Hyman, a professor emeritus at University of Oregon, would have any intelligence connections, that he would at all be related to that kind of stuff at all. And it isn't made public. It isn't out there. It just seems to crop up in the strangest of places. So, no, I'm not, make, I'm not painting with a broad brush anyone who has intelligence connections is this or that. But it certainly goes against what the average person thinks about academia and about these kind of scientific investigations. Well, we're going to have to take another break here, which I'm sorry. 
We have to do that periodically. And I think when we come back, I want to launch into a little bit of the near-death experiences and uh, how it ties into past lives and that sort of thing, because I think that's an interesting topic. And I think a lot of people are interested in that. And as I say, you can find out more information. um, And if you have questions, you can uh, email uh, Alex at news at skeptico.com. And uh, as as he mentioned, you can listen to his uh, radio interviews with a number of these people. And you can take a look at my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we will be back right after this uh, and continue the discussion. Dreams are our personal gateways into infinite wisdom. Don't miss Shamanic Counselor and Indigenously Trained Dream Decoder, Sandra Corcoran's inspiring book, Shamanic Awakening Between the Dark and the Daylight. This remarkable work chronicles Sandra's 35 years of experience with diverse wisdom keepers and her initiations throughout the Americas and across the British Isles, Turkey, Greece, and Egypt. Sandy's knowledge of symbology, psychology, and myth influenced her dream blog and workshops. Sandy offers private tarot readings, international journeys, a meditative CD, as well as her book, Shamanic Awakening, to encourage you as you navigate this earthwalk, creating a deeper connection to yourself and all that is. Find this and more at Sandy's website, StarwalkerVisions.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. How would you like to be able to read other people's minds? Well, the next best thing is here. When you know how to read a person's name, you know how the person thinks, feels, and behaves. Each letter in our name holds a key to unlock our true essence. Our name contains both our gifts and challenges in this lifetime. Nemology Science discovers personality secrets hidden in the placement of the letters of our names, including the first and last impression people remember about us. Sharon shows us how to interpret the arrangement of letters as outlined in her book, Know the Name, Know the Person. Sharon Lynn Wyeth created Nemology Science after 18 years of research and testing her theories and has supported thousands of people around the world in understanding themselves and others better. You'll enjoy Sharon's unique teachings as she shares her system to learn the gifts behind your given birth name. Even if you don't like your birth name, there are jewels in this book. If you're thinking of changing your name, ready to name your child, or wanting to get along better with others, this is the book for you. If you'd like to improve your relationships and change your life for the better, get the book today. Know the name, know the person. Or visit www.knowthename.com. That's www.knowthename.com.
Hello, I'm Justina Marsh, and with my dad, Pete, we are going to present a new show called Too Good to Be True. Together, we are aiming to discover more truths about this world and beyond. Do you have unanswered questions about the world? Do you ever wonder about aliens, conspiracy theories, or the universe? There are many shows discussing subjects such as pyramids or UFOs, but we want to relay this information based on our own research, including from spiritual means. Hopefully, listeners will be helped with their own beliefs and will appreciate the psychic insights that add to the previous research and information. We both look forward to sharing this insight and beginning this journey with our listeners. Visit xzbn.net for more information about when to listen. And once again, we have returned. I'm talking with Alex Sakaris, who's informing us about uh, past lives. I hadn't really planned to get into the past life aspect of it. I wanted to more delve into the near-death experience. Um, and I had done a, actually done a book on near-death experiences about 20 years ago. And in that book, we also delved into um, – past lives, and it struck me that if you could find someone from the right era, it would be an interesting way to conduct archaeological research. They could tell you about the society from 100 years ago or 200 years ago or 500 years ago if you could find uh, somebody like that. But how do you verify a past life that's five or 600 years old? Well, it's really problematic, and that's why, you know, all this research, even when we talk about near-death experience, research, science, and there's a huge a body of it by now, a couple of hundred peer-reviewed papers in the near-death experience research field. But, you know, there's a problem in terms of uh, verifying that it is taking place or it's happening <clears throat> versus dealing with the, the substance or the content and starting to trying to sort that out in a scientific way. And as you can imagine and you're alluding to, it's a lot, it's a lot more problematic but again, I bring it back to the beginning of the show. All of it is a radical departure from science as we know it, as it's taught, because it completely ignores and rejects the possibility that any of this stuff could even be true. And, and so that, that's really where I'm at, is like, let's just cross the chasm and get over there and say, okay, this does seem to be happening. Let's figure out what the implications are. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with Bridie Murphy, the uh, I, Colorado woman who uh, – Yeah, I think so. They were regressing yeah. her – I mean not regressing her purposely, but uh, uh, party with a hypnotist there and ended mm -hmm. up with this past life uh, of uh, her being a, um, a woman in Ireland in the mid-19th century. And, and there was a big – uh, hullabaloo about that. And, and in studying that case, I noticed that the church got into it, uh, wanting to disprove this past life regression. And I think the uh, Chicago newspaper, for some reason, had it in for them. And we're not publishing the information, all the information about it. Uh, it but the question then becomes, do does a church specifically in this case was the Catholic Church, but does the church uh, also reject these ideas universally uh, simply because of the uh, their body of teaching? 
It gets tricky. I've talked to some who more or less do were kind of rejected or they accept it up to a point. They accept the part that is biblical or is according to their doctrine and they reject the rest or they even go so further and say the rest is demonic. Some say it's all demonic, but some of the more progressive and liberal at least Christian denominations are very accepting of it. They're saying, "Hey, we were right. There is more. There is, you know, even if they're not totally right, you got to admit they're more in that right space than the secular atheists would seem. That's what the data would seem to suggest. Because you wrote a book on near-death experience. I wasn't. I didn't know that. So tell me, what did you find? Well, in talking to the people, and I tend to believe the people were telling me the truth as best they could, which is to say they weren't weren't consciously um, inventing the tale for the pure excitement of inventing the tale. They sincerely believed what they were telling me. And that I noticed that when you got off onto the topic of death, which we all try not to talk about as much as possible, uh, they were very relaxed. They were very calm about the whole thing because they just saw it as a transition to another stage of existence. Uh, and they had experienced part of that existence. Um, but the counter-argument was put by the scientific community when I was looking at the the information. And I was looking at uh, psychological journals. I was looking at peer-reviewed research from both aspects of that. What I saw from the I guess you could say the scientific end of it, meaning the, those who were not actively researching near death but were looking for the uh, physiological um, problems with death, that they were saying that, yes, this is all a reflection of what happens as the brain begins to shut down as the body begins to fail. And that was why they were reporting basically the same thing. The, the, the light that they went through, the seeing of their relatives that had passed before them and that sort of thing. And so that there was a rational scientific explanation for this that did not necessarily take us into the paranormal. Right. Um, that last gasp of a dying brain theory is sometimes what it's called. And I would have to say that that's been thoroughly, thoroughly trounced. I mean, the modern near-death experience researchers. And one of the things people have to realize right off the bat, when you talk about near-death experience science, you're mainly talking about medical science. So the leading researchers in this, you might point to a guy like Dr. Pin van Lamel, cardiologist forever, 20, 30 years in the Netherlands. You know, that was his job. He's a cardiologist. And his he tells the story. When I started my career, most people, when they had cardiac arrest, that was it. But with the advent of resuscitation and more advanced techniques, more and more people were surviving cardiac arrest. And lo and behold, during his career, some of those people came back and said, hey, doctor, you'll never believe what happened. I died and I'll, suddenly I was floating outside my body. I could see everything you did. Why do you have one blue sock on and one brown sock, by the way? And then all the rest is and then tell the rest of the story about ascending to these other places. Well, he went about researching that in a very systematic way, published in one of the top medical journals in the world, The Lancet, and published a very influential paper, wrote a best-selling book. And there's other researchers. Dr. Sam Parnia, formerly from Cornell, now at New York Stony Brook, is without a doubt one of the leading experts in the world on resuscitation. So that's not, near-death experience is not his primary thing. He's a medical doctor and he re researches resuscitation. 
his conclusion after doing the largest study across a bunch of hospitals of near-death experiencers is that consciousness seems to, in some way we don't understand, survive death. And they totally trounce that last gasp of a dying brain. They have EEG data. They have data on what uh, chemicals were in the body, what medications were in the body. And then my favorite researcher is a guy down near New Orleans who is another doctor, radiation oncologist, cancer doctor, Dr. Jeffrey Long, compiled the largest database of near-death experiences, over 4,000, I think, at this point, detailed medical survey, same conclusion, consciousness survives death in some way we don't understand. So the, the, the resistance among the atheistic science scientific community is for a bunch of reasons we could get into, but the data just doesn't support their conclusion. Well, falling back into my materialistic brain here, and uh, uh, I guess scientific uh, uh, anomalies, I don't know, anomalies is the wrong word, but um, this information that we're talking about here, this research you're talking about has been published in peer review journals, Correct. Right. Well, yes. And I mean, the, the one I for certainly, you know, uh, the Lancet is not only a peer reviewed journal, but when you get into peer reviewed journals and sometimes some people piss on this journal or that journal, which is really stupid kind of stuff. The Lancet, everyone points to because it's acknowledged as one of the top medical journals in the world and pen Mammals in there. But these other guys, I mean, uh, again, uh, you know, Sam Parnia, I mean, he's top notch guy. He's yes, he's published peer reviewed in many peer reviewed journals, some of the top ones in the world. You just wouldn't know, you know, the name of it, neurological journal, you know, whatever that could. I don't know it off the top of my head, but yeah. Well, and the thing is, first of all, you can't say pissed on the radio. <clears throat> I was okay. a little humor there for, for all of you paying attention here. I <laughs> wanted you to know I was paying attention. But I mean, the point, the point I'm trying to make is simply this, that we're not talking about what I guess would be dismissed as anecdotal testimonies. We're talking about actual scientific research being conducted by uh, the people you would expect to have the most knowledge of this sort of thing. And you're talking about doctors who are involved in uh, cardiac patients, oncologists, and things like that, and people who have been resuscitated. You're talking about the doctors and the, I guess, the emergency rooms that have resuscitated them. So you're talking about people who are involved in this thing, not some guy off the street saying, yes, I survived death and here's my story type thing. You're talking about what the scientific research is telling us. True, but you really wouldn't get that picture if you just looked at the mainstream science uh, news media, they're constantly, there's a, the drum never stops beating in terms of generating these stories about how near-death experience science has been debunked or here's the latest proof, it's REM intrusion. There's an ongoing disinformation war. It's undeniable. Anyone can look at it. So yeah, that's the research if you go and look for it. And if you look for the counter-research, you won't find any of it that's done with near-death experiencers, but they still try and make this link because this idea of materialism has a lot of steam behind it, and they're not willing to give up on it very easily. But, but now you've moved in con to conspiracy theory. What would be Absolutely, the one? right, which is the only way to understand what's going on. It's impossible to look at this without considering the conspiratorial angle, right? But what would be the motivation of the doctors who are, I guess, anti-near-death experience? What, what is their motivation? Why would they care enough to uh, dismiss this without taking a, a solid scientific look at it? 
Well, I mean, there's, you're talking about individual doctors now. I mean, I, I think many individual doctors are on board and are persuaded by the data in terms of why, you know, Sam Harris comes out and attacks Eben Alexander when he has a New York Times bestselling book and these guys seem to come out of the woodwork or why, you know, this study at the University of Michigan that finds this little blip in the in the brain activity of rats 10 seconds after they die is trumpeted up as uh, a counter to explaining the near-death experience. Why that happens? I mean, that's a, that's another show, man. I mean, that's a long, long, that's a long question in terms of how and why, you know, things get spun the way they do. But are, are you being taught in medical school um, that, these things are impossible, ergo they are impossible, as opposed to this is an interesting anomaly that maybe we ought to take another look at. Is it is it that definitive? These things do not happen. Yes, these things do not happen. Yes, there's no – that's what's taught. There's no medical model for the persistence of consciousness after bodily death. It's just does not exist. No, absolutely not. And you know, I'm – kind of dancing around that and I know I'm coming up against my break here so I don't have a lot of time but I was wondering is there a typical non-death I'm sorry near-death experience uh, that that seems I mean seems to be universal that kind of suggests that this thing is uh, more than just an individual's uh, fantasies there's all sorts of different ways to analyze the content of the experience, and many people have done it across culture, across religion, across age groups. So there's just a ton of research there that gets interesting. There are some commonalities. There are many important commonalities. There's also differences. From a medical standpoint, one of the things that's interesting is it doesn't seem to matter how these people get into this state, whether it's drowning or cardiac arrest or just being really scared that they're going to die in a plane crash, they seem to have a similar experience. Again, that goes against the neurological explanation for this. Well, as I said, we're going to have to take another break. And I'm talking with Alex Sakaris, who is um, the host at Skeptico, which is a, a podcast that you all can listen to when you feel the mood. Um, and you can email him at news at skeptico.com. And I will put up some additional information on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we'll be, we will be back, hard time speaking, right after this, a um, few messages. Hi everyone, Rob McConnell here, and I wanted to spend a moment on internet streaming. Everybody has heard about internet streaming, but not many know much about it. Did you know the internet streams just about everything? Movies. From new releases to old classics. TV shows. Almost every show, every episode, and much more. But the question has always been, how do you do it? Well now, thanks to the folks at 123 Ready TV, I have the answer for you. They have developed a simple program app, 123 Ready TV, that you install on your Windows PC, Android smartphone, or Android tablet that can have you streaming like a pro in less than five minutes. You truly won't believe how much is available or how easy it is to do until you try. And for a one-time cost of only $19.99, 
cents. This product is a real winner. To learn more about 123 Ready TV, visit our website at www.xzbn.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. There's a legend shared by many indigenous cultures of a time when the nations were cast to the four corners of the world. Each nation was given a body of sacred knowledge that held a different portion of the truth to preserve. True reality could not be known until all the nations reunited, combining the information. If a single one was missing, the world could not be reborn and darkness would prevail. The Science of Magic Radio is dedicated to reuniting the sacred knowledge. With the understanding, none of us has all the answers, but together we can open new perceptions and possibilities. Through our combined vision, the world can be reborn into a place where darkness no longer prevails. Join me, Gwilda Wiecka, and the Science of Magic daily on the Exxon Broadcast Network, xzbn.net, or visit us at thescienceofmagic.net. And we have returned. <laughs> My mind just went away there for a moment. We have returned, and I have been taking speech lessons during the break, so I will try to enunciate a little bit better than I was. 
when we went away, we were talking about the near-death experiences from past lives, and I was kind of pushing toward finding the uh, scientific take on this. I know the, the problem is, as, as Alex has suggested, that there seems to be um, – the, the scientific community is just dead set, <laughs> pardon the pun, against the idea that their, the near-death experience suggests consciousness persists after death. And we were kind of wondering – I was kind of wondering about that. And I was – and that was why I keep asking about the peer-reviewed journal because we look – we want to look at the scientific evidence and not the anecdotal testimonies that uh, the man on the street might be giving us. And, and we were getting into some of that. And the other thing that we – I mentioned, and we really didn't talk about, and that is the idea of doing archaeology through uh, past life regression. If you could find somebody from ancient Rome, for example, you might be able to find out something about the daily life of the Romans that we didn't know by someone who allegedly has experienced that. Has there been anything like that kind of research going on? And I know I've just taken us off into a, a left turn here, but has there been any kind of research of doing that sort of thing, an archaeological research into um, a, a, an ancient community that, that might give us some insight into that community? You know, what comes to mind is the work of a guy named Stephen Schwartz, and he's been on the show a couple times, but it's been a couple of years. And he was more, I think he's done exactly that, but I know what he's done is the remote viewing work. So, you know, the whole remote viewing thing, psychic spying thing that was done at SRI and then in a project called Stargate. Well, Stephen was familiar with that work and he took it and applied it to archaeology and finding uh, ancient sites and uh, had some really pretty astounding, last time I talked to him, pretty astounding results where, you know, as you know, archaeology is tough. You know, there's just the, the ground out there. Where do you go? And, yeah, he's found some pretty amazing sites. Well, I know that there's a, uh, a teenager using Google Maps who has found some archaeological sites by looking at that sort of thing and pinpointed where some cities had once been and they were now gone. Um, yes. but, but I guess the, the idea I'm having is if you could find someone who claimed to have lived in, um, and I would, I would actually like to somebody who was an ancient Mayan, for example, tell us how life was in the ancient Mayan world, but nobody has really followed that avenue. I suppose it's really kind of an esoteric way to go. Well, I'll give you another example that's kind of related, you know, and I just interviewed this guy, just a really interesting guy, 88 year old. Uh, Anglican priest from New Zealand who, strangely enough, gets meets this person who claims to be channeling this ancient – not ancient, I shouldn't say ancient – this figure from early Christianity. Stephen the Martyr is his name, okay? So I, I'm not a Christian and I just have a lot of doubts about a, a lot of that history. But this guy's an Anglican priest and he's studied at Oxford, and he's into biblical scholarship. So he starts testing this channeled information. And one of the ways that he tests it, which he said was extremely evidential for him, is that he finds that this guy partook in this ancient um, grape wine ceremony that no one knew about. He had to go to the Dead Sea Scrolls. He had to do all this original research. And 30 years later, he was able to confirm that this guy, Stephen the Martyr, who was from 
basically from the Grecian kind of area, they did have a wine ceremony that was similar to the Essenes that we already knew had in uh, Palestine and in, in Israel. So, I mean, that's kind of like what you're talking about, where someone, you know, through channeled information was able to confirm or, or, or pointed to real uh historical data that he was able to confirm independently. So it's kind of kind of cool. Well, my question would be how long ago did that happen that he was able to confirm this thing? Because in today's world with the internet, it's it's not I won't say very easy, but it is easy to find these little strange bits of information that tend to confirm things like that 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 you wouldn't have been able to find um, a number of years ago because this research would be too difficult to do. So how long ago did that transpire? Yeah, I, I don't know. There's just one little anecdote from his story. I was more interested in the, the, the whole issue of channeling, I think, is, is an interesting, you know, whether you believe in that or not, and what is the source of the information, and how is the information distorted, and then how do people go about verifying it? So again, I'm not looking at it from a Christian angle. I'm more looking at it from a scientific angle, if you would. So I, I just thought his, uh, he seemed to be an earnest guy who had approached it in a very, uh, you know, thoughtful way. He's obviously not a scientist, but he had done his best, it would seem, to approach it in a scientific way. I did a book called Conversations, which is an e-book, and it, and it started out as abduction research, and it devolved into past life um, uh, uh, regressions. And I, I, it was, was 20-some years ago before the Internet was so prevalent. And that was one of the things that we found as we were attempting to validate the information we were, were getting was that we would end up in libraries going through this. And the information was – we could find it, but it was very difficult to find. And you wonder how this, this uh, woman – was coming up with these strange things that we were able to verify through this horrendous research. In today's world, you just type something into the uh, into Google and it comes up for you. But 20 years ago, it was a very di- more difficult thing to do. And uh, definitely it, right. And as I say, you know that book is available uh, it, uh, again at Amazon as um, uh, as an ebook called Conversations. And and that's the other thing I've I, I've I've seen with uh, the past life regression stuff is that if it's not that distant. In the past, that it can't, the past life can be verified, and especially interesting if it's a child saying things that he or she shouldn't know about, given his or her age, about something that had happened uh, 50, 100, 150 years before uh, birth. And that seems to be, um, I guess, information that confirms, uh, not confirms, but suggest that there's a possibility of these past lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the links I'll send you, you asked me to send you a couple uh, links. One is by Jim Tucker, the guy from the University of Virginia who's compiled all this huge database. And one of the more interesting cases he has is exactly that. It's this kid who had this memory of being a fighter pilot. And the way that happened is the mom is rolling him in his little stroller past the toy store, and he says, Mama, that's the plane I used to fly. And mom's like, you know, she doesn't kind of make too much of it. He goes, no, but wait a minute. The bombardier, the, the bombs are attached the wrong way. They don't look like that, you know. So she goes home and she tells dad, 
And dad is curious enough and is interested in World War II enough that he starts pulling out some books and showing them some pictures. And the story starts to unravel. And this young kid at a very young age is able to tell this just a, a, an amazing collection of information about not only the plane and who was in it, you know, you know more about this stuff than I do, but I have no idea, but like how many people it took to operate the plane and there was a gunner in the back and there were three guys, the whole thing. So uh, very, very interesting cases when you get into them. But I would also suggest, and we're practically out of time here, but I would also suggest that there is so much information being sort of in the ether around us with, with television and the computers and all of that stuff that you pick up things without really knowing where they came from. And yeah. if you get some very deep, well, and, and I can point to anecdotal testimony that suggests that, but if you get detailed enough, then you're not going to be picking that sort of detail out of the air, especially if you're a little kid. Yeah. And for a kid to see a model plane and say, Hey, the model plane is wrong because it should be like, I mean, how would you get that? You know, it's just, it, it stretches. And then, so again, I think the anecdotal stuff is really important. And I think the science stuff is really important. I don't think we should throw out one or the other. So I think when, when the science establishes and points us in that direction, like this work from the University of Virginia does, then we should be more open and we should take another look at that account and say, you know what, I'm not so quick to just kind of dismiss that. Let me look at what's really being said. That's how I approach it. Same with the near-death experience. Well, you know, it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that we have to take a look at um, when we uh, are try, trying to study this sort of thing. So it, it uh, strikes me as something we, we should investigate, but I think it's also very difficult to um, confirm these sorts of things. And, and, and that's why we get into the anecdotal testimony type thing. Uh, we're going to have to end this here, I'm afraid. It's been interesting. The hour has uh, shot by. I've enjoyed it immensely. I hope everybody else has as well. Once again, um, the guest is Alex Sakaris. He has written the book, Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything, which is available at uh, Amazon, and it's available through Anomalous Books. You can uh, email him at news at skeptico.com, and that's the name of his uh, podcast, Skeptico, so you can find that on the internet as well, uh, which will give us an idea of what's going on. I will put some links up on my um, uh, blog at Kevin Randall, www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and I don't know why I could not get that out, but you've heard it enough. You probably know what it is, and uh, you can take a look at that information yourself and and decide whether or not uh, you find it believable, whether you find it interesting, whether you find it something that you want to pursue later on. And for those of you interested in the Roswell case, uh, take a look at Roswell in the 21st century, and for those of you interested in UFOs, because we've kind of gotten away from that in the last couple of weeks. I will have John Burroughs on next week talking about the Rendlesham Forest uh, experience uh, from his point of view. So take a look at that or be prepared to listen to that. And we will be back in about 167 hours with John Burroughs. 